Uh, Jesus didn't have a problem with people that's in the streets. He had a problem with religious people. How can I help anybody when I'm not even when I was not even able to help my own son? I would never do that. I would never do that. And I became that in a matter of minutes when they took my pain pills away. And I said, I'm not where I want to be. But thank God I'm not what I used to be. Ugh. This is Faith in Your Recovery. I am Randy Davis. Welcome to the battle. Thank you for joining us here on Season 2 of Faith in Your Recovery. We're here to help you see it not just through the day, but through life. We want to touch, change lives, and we'll save them any way we can. Together, we believe we can make a difference. When you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, we're here for you and with you. Yeah, we get the struggle, the challenge, the stigma, the sense of loss. Whether we're your first choice or your last chance, we believe that together there's a way above and beyond this thing called addiction. I'm your host, Randy Davis, a pastor as well as founder and executive director of A Better Life, Brianna's Hope. We're participant-driven, faith-based, compassion-filled support and recovery movement for those battling the battle with substance use disorder slash addiction. Our guest today comes all the way from the beautiful town of Burn, Indiana, over there in Adams County. Welcome, Courtney Thompson. Nice to be here. Well, we're excited to have you. Looking forward to hearing your story. See what it is that you've got to share with us. We want to get your experiences in life, what the battle was like for you, and how the victory's looking right now. I realize the battle's not over. We recognize that. But it sounds to me like you're at a good place at this time. You agree? Yeah, I think so. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Well, go ahead. Introduce yourself to our listeners. Just tell us a little something about you present day, okay? Um, I'm 20 years old, and I'm a recovering alcoholic. And through Brianna's Hope, I have found a bonus family and a support team. And I wouldn't be where I am today without them. So. Awesome. Tell the folks what you mean by a bonus family. I know. Uh, but tell the folks who may question that. Um, well, for a lot of people I know, and for me personally, um, a lot of us don't have a family anymore that accepts us. And we call our Brianna's Hope family our bonus family because they support us and they love us and they do anything they can to help us and be there for us no matter what. And they've become a big part of my life, and they're pretty much the only family I have, and I appreciate all of them. It sounds to me like they fill a pretty big void, yes? Yeah. That's powerful. That means a lot. Who among us isn't searching for some kind of connection, acceptance? And so many times that's what drives folks to that, to that dark side, if you'll pardon the expression, because they will, we all find acceptance one place or the other. So let's go back in your life. Tell us you know, the general age, tell us how you got started with your alcohol, anything else that may have come along, share, please. Okay. Um, I started drinking when I was nine years old, um, regularly by the time I was 14 or 15. 
and I would drink until I couldn't stand up anymore. I was drinking from the time that I woke up until the time I went to bed. And alcohol was always something that I had around. I started smoking cigarettes and weed when I was 13, and that continued until recently. Um, I just hit my nine months sober off of alcohol and everything. Congratulations. That's big. Yeah. (laughs) You say you started at the age of nine. It was always around. It was available in your household. Is that correct? Yes. And um, my friends always had stuff. People at school always had stuff. My family always had stuff in the house. Um, It was just easily accessible. You made it clear that it was kind of a daylight to dark thing and beyond. Uh, How was life going for you at that point? What was school like, relationships outside your household even? Tell us a little about that. Um, Well, I, when I was 14, I had just like finished eighth grade and everything. My mom got married the summer after eighth grade and we moved to Fort Wayne. And so that meant starting an all new school for high school. I went into it not knowing anybody And um, by my sophomore year, like probably about halfway through, I was drinking all the time. I found people to party with, smoke with, whatever, whether it was just stepping outside the school building or people I rode the bus with or whatever. Like, I found people to fit in with. And I didn't do it just to fit in. I was trying to drown out all the other stuff I had going on at home. And that definitely strained my relationship with a few of my really good friends because they didn't like seeing me like that. So you must have gone through a series of adverse childhood experiences, yes? Yes. Yeah, (laughs) and this was a way to cover up that pain and to cover it over and... At the time, they must have felt like good moments, even when you look back, seeing it wasn't so good. Is that accurate? Yes. Um, There was times where, like, I knew it wasn't helping, and I knew, like, I wasn't facing everything, but I didn't really care because I didn't even want to necessarily be alive. So I did anything to kind of speed up the process. Okay. Okay. That's understandable. Obviously, you went through a lot of pain, and this was a way to numb that. Yeah. Yeah. Had to be a rough time, no doubt. So you said you began with alcohol, then you moved to uh, cigarettes, marijuana. Uh, Was that with the group that had accepted you, that group of friends, or did that come about in a different way? Actually, um, I started smoking weed with my friend's dad when we were 13 years old, and he he had me trick her into thinking I had already smoked with him before because I would stay with them all the time because my mom would leave for weeks or a month at a time, and I'd just be in my apartment by myself. So I would go upstairs to my friend's apartment, and I would stay there, so I wasn't alone most of the time. And he had his daughter come over the next day, and he's like, oh, just, like, go along with it, go along with it. And he, like, packs a pipe or whatever, a bowl of weed, and uh, rolls a joint, and... He said, 
He looked at his daughter and he said, oh, well, she already smoked with me yesterday or last night. And he's like, so do you want to hit this? So she smoked first. And then I thought since I had already supposedly done it, that I had to do it. And that's how I got started smoking weed. And um, before that, we had already been stealing cigarettes from her mom and stuff like that because her mom worked at a gas station. So she always brought home like boxes of cigarettes and everything so because of the access it made it easy for you and her to to get what you wanted yes yeah (laughs) where did it go from there uh so you started with your friend and her dad uh where did the you know your battle with weed marijuana where'd that take you um honestly it got me in a lot more trouble than I'd like to admit. Um, never legally, because I guess I was just careful about not getting caught. But um, I would I would find people that I knew smoked, whether they were older than me or not. I would find friends of friends, and and I'd smoke with them. Or I would ask kids at school like hey like I know you smoke where do you get your weed you know and I'd buy some off of them or they'd hook me up with a dealer and I'd hook up with the dealer and and I mean I actually was selling for a little bit like not in large quantities but and I was lucky to never get caught I would never do it again but um I would do that just to make money to buy food so um I'd sell, like, dime bags out of out of my house. I'd just run them outside of my mom's house and slip them, like, they'd slip me the money, and I'd just run back inside my house and continue smoking on the supply I was selling. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay, and that's, I'm going to say, for lack of better words, that's the way you were making it through life at the moment. Yes. Yeah, yeah. 100%, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, take us forward from there that was kind of what your high school years is that what you just described junior high high school or um the beginning of uh high school end of junior high for the most part um I mean I smoked weed all through high school and afterwards um but I really really started drinking when my stepdad um he he was very violent drunk. He he always had alcohol in the house. Um, he was always on something. He was always starting fights with my mom or with me, and he'd put hands on her and stuff. So I would he and he'd slip me liquor bottles. Like he flipped their truck three times, and I remember waking up that morning because we had like a two hour delay or a cancellation or something. So I like woke up to the text message alert. And I and I remember hearing them pull out of the parking lot to go for to go to work that day. And I remember thinking, oh, they're going to wreck. And then about an hour later, I get a phone call and he's crying and he's like, we flipped the truck. Your mom's hurt, all this and that. And he picks me up like five hours later. He's already shit faced drunk, like absolutely wasted. And um takes me to the hospital with his mom and him to go see my mom because she had shattered her femur because they didn't have their seatbelts on. And um, that was kind of a control thing on his part. So I wasn't surprised necessarily. And um, 
he pulls out a bunch of shot bottles out of his coat pockets and he's like, here, go in the bathroom, drink these. Cause he knew I didn't like hospitals. He's like, it'll, it'll like mellow you out. And I was like, okay, you know, so I went in the bathroom of the hospital and I downed like four shots, you know, and like it was nothing. And it was always liquor. It was never beer for me. It was always like hard liquor, whether it was whiskey, vodka, tequila, whatever. It was always harder stuff because it worked faster. It worked better. Your access uh, was overwhelming, it sounds like. Oh, yeah. At that time in your life, did you have anyone as you look back you would say was supporting you uh, in, in a positive way? Any kind of, as you referred earlier, bonus family, a grandparent, a neighbor, an aunt, an uncle, brother, sister. Did you have anybody on your side that was working to get you into a positive place in your life? Um, Michael Bear and um, a select few high school teachers. And um, I, had an, I had a neighbor who would always give me food and everything because... Um, because after, I, I was 16, and my stepdad beat almost the life out of my mom. and um, Did you see that happen? Yes. Okay. And I'm the one that called the police. And uh, after that, there was a protective order put in place, like when they caught him and everything. And my mom was mad at me for calling the police. And I was like, well, I'm going to leave because I was going to leave with my boyfriend at the time. And I was like, I'm not going to be here to watch you die. Like, I'm not. And and I was like, if you don't want to leave, that is on you. That is your choice. You're an adult. But that is not love. And nobody that loves you is going to do that to you. I was like, so I'm either going to leave and you're going to go somewhere be- before I leave and I'm going to make sure you're safe. Or you're going to stay here, and when I get back, you're going to be dead. Well, that is not my fault. I am not the person that's supposed to save you. And I remember I called the police. Let me let me interrupt you just a minute. I want to go back to that moment where you called the police. You're 16 at this time. Yeah. Where did that kind of wisdom come from? To be able to deal with it on those terms. Um, I'd been seeing it and dealing with it for most of my life. Okay. Not just from him, but from previous, um, previous men that she had been married to or in relationships with, um, whether the violence was directed at me or at her. And it just became normal, honestly. Like, it was just a regular thing, like, same stuff, different day. Yep. Okay, now let's go back. You said you called the police. And um, my mom was screaming at me. So I went over to my neighbor's house, and and I didn't cry at all until I got in her door. I, I like, pounded on her door, and I walked in. And she's like, what's going on? Because she heard, like, yelling and stuff breaking, and she she didn't know what was going on. She's older. She was in, like, her 60s. And she's like, honey, are you okay? And I was like, I just called the cops. I was like, can I sit here for a little bit until they get here? And she's like, yeah, of course. And then she hugged me, and I just started bawling. 
because that I, I guess that's when I was able to actually like let, let it out. <laughs> you had to be in protection and defensive mode up to that moment, and you had that permission. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's go forward from there. What were the results of that? Um, my mom moved out for seven months. Um, there was a protective order put in place, which she did not follow. And she moved out of our house and left me there to finish my junior year by myself and start my senior year by myself. I paid for my whole senior year of high school on my own. And, um, and I got a job at a subway that was connected to a gas station by my house. And I would walk there along the highway every day. 15, 20 minute walk and I would show up drunk. I would put liquor in my coffee and take it to work with me. I would smoke before I'd go to work and I'd take a couple anxiety pills not prescribed to me and I would just show up at work and I would pay her bills and I'd pay for my school and I would try to pay for my food if I could but that was a long walk to get to a store, so. Wow, that's a bunch right there. So did you say that was your junior and senior year? Yes. How did, I'm not sure how to ask this. The school had to notice. Obviously, you've already mentioned some teachers you were able to get close with. Did they come to you or did you go to them? A little bit of both um, because some of them noticed that some something was wrong. And um, there was a kid that told on me, which I was very upset at the time, but I would self-harm. And I guess they saw the cuts on my arm and uh, the guidance counselor pulled me out of class. And she's like, what is going on? So I told her a little bit and and. DCS got involved. I, I think I had like seven cases my junior year and um, they never did anything because I was going to age out of the system and they couldn't really do anything anyways. So um, and they gave my mom a heads up before they did a house visit. So of course she came early before they showed up. She, she came back to the house and she filled the fridge with food because it had been empty for the most part, and, um, and you know, acted like everything was fine, like she'd been there this whole time, and they didn't do anything. So I was just stuck there until I graduated. You were able to graduate from high school with all of that stuff going on. Yeah, school was my way out. That was the only way I had out. Whether I went to college or not, I knew I needed to graduate, and I almost didn't, but... I, I really, really pushed myself, and I had people that pushed me to do it. So, Wow, that, that's amazing that you could have done that. Congratulations for that effort and the recognition of how bad you needed that, that diploma. Uh, that's big. Okay, take us forward from your high school days, which was only a couple of years ago, so there's yeah. not a lot of space there, but take us forward, please. Um, I got into 
a really bad relationship. I graduated high school early and I moved out 10 days after I graduated. And I didn't even know that I'd have a place to stay. I was couch hopping for a little while and then I reconnected with a guy that I had been on and off with since I was like 14. And um, Did he know your story? Yes. Okay. Yes, he did. And um, he ended up being very abusive and not very supportive of me in my recovery journey. And um, my bonus family actually kind of had to save me a little bit because he he put hands on me. And I went to the church because I didn't know where else to go. I just walked out one day. And I had bruises from my shoulders down to my knees. and um, From the physical altercation. Yes, and there were multiple. Um, but I, he was supposed to love me. Like, I almost got married to him. He helped me stop drinking for the first time. And, um, and I, I thought, like, everything was going to be good and I was going to be happy and everything. But his issues kind of overrided everything. So you kind of, and correct me if I'm wrong, you kind of got into the situation that your mom had been living before you. Yes, and he was not the first one like that. Okay. And he wasn't the last well, you made a comment a minute ago. He wasn't in support of your recovery journey. How did that journey start? Um, well, I had, I had left him and got back with him. But the first time I left him, um, Michael Bear invited me to a meeting. And I didn't really think that I went, okay, but... Going to a meeting the first time, I was like, I don't need this. Like, I'm not, there's You're nothing not the wrong first. with me. You're not yeah. the first. And, um, and after a lot of self-reflection and thinking on it, I, um, I realized that I am an alcoholic and that I do need help and that I don't want to be the person I was when I was drinking really heavy every day and, so how many meetings did you go to before you got that personal revelation that I do have some things I need to deal with? Um, honestly, it probably took me a couple months to, like, fully accept that. Like, I kept going. And, like, yeah, there was some times where I'd skip meetings and I relapsed once. and But I got right back up. I showed up to a meeting. I said, hey, guys, like, I messed up. And, and, um... How'd they, they took, deal with that? They took me back in with open arms. They're like, that's okay. Like, as long as you get back up, you're you're sitting here, you're owning up to your mistake, and you're trying again. And that's what matters. Yeah. I, I think the scriptures, I think the story of Peter and how many times he stumbled, fell, relapsed in behaviors, but he got up one more time than he was down. You know what, folks, if you were here with me and you could see Courtney, you'd see there's nothing physical as far as large size goes, okay? She's, she's a tidy gal. And I say all of that to say this. 
Strength is on the inside, not in your biceps or <laughs> other parts of your body. Yeah, and she's flexing them now, I think. I don't know. <laughs> but regardless, uh, she found strength. She found support. She found help. Take us forward in your recovery journey, please. So you've been there a few meetings, and you get that revelation, yeah, I do have some stuff I need to get rid of. And you've got folks, obviously, it sounds like you knew you could count on. Yeah. Um, I, um, after I relapsed and everything, I started going back to meetings again, and um, I ended up getting back in a relationship with that guy. And... He set me back a little bit, not in my recovery journey, but in in my healing, like myself, like with my trauma and everything else, because he was just causing more damage. And I I left him again for the last time. And um, and now I am nine months sober, almost 10. And I'm happier, I'm healthier, I feel better about myself, and I know that there's people who are so proud of me because on countless occasions I've had people be like, you are so different from when you first started coming to meetings, because I wouldn't talk, I'd just sit there, head down, you know, and I wouldn't really like interact with anybody I don't really like being touched and like now I'll go up and be like oh do you need a hug like I mean if I'm having a good day like I'm okay with it you know like I have my boundaries and everything but um but they've been such a good thing for me honestly because I probably wouldn't be here without them like I probably would have drank myself to death and I'm glad I didn't. Yes, so are we, and so is everybody listening, okay? Uh, Courtney, what kind of advice would you give to someone who's in an abusive relationship where drugs and or alcohol is involved? What would you say to them? Um, Those people don't love you if they can hurt you like that or if they're pushing drugs and alcohol on you and being like oh do this like it'll be fun like you're more of a fun person if you do this or like don't ever conform to what somebody else's expectations are of you i love that line don't ever conform (laughs) to what someone else's expectations of you are yes because like if they want to change who you are as a person or make you a worse person or push you deeper into your addictions or your alcoholism or whatever or just push you around in general like they do not love you they do not care about you and support you like you need to be supported and cared about they want to dominate and take control of i heard it said years and years ago that those who are out of control or want to control have lost control themselves And this is a way for them to feel better. If I can one-up you and stand above you, I can take charge of your life, even if I can't take charge of my own. Yeah, because, I mean, I never want to see somebody go through feeling or dealing with what I went through, even as a teenager in abusive relationships. Like, Like, 
I was pushed to the point where I didn't think I should be here anymore. Like, I thought that nobody was ever going to love me because that sure as heck wasn't love. And I tried to take the easy way out, and I tried to kill myself at least three times. And I'm still here. And What kept that from happening? I woke up. I woke up. That's that's it. Like, I logically, I should not be alive because um, the last time I attempted, I cut up both my arms, my legs, my hips, my stomach. I took 200 anxiety pills, and I downed them with alcohol, and I woke up the next day, bloody, stuck to my sheets or my floor or wherever I passed out at, and... I think maybe I threw up once and that was it. And I was mad. I was very, very angry that I woke up because I did not want to wake up. But I did. And I am not religious, but I do believe that everything happens for a reason. And I woke up for a reason. Maybe today's that reason. That may sound arrogant on my part, but there is a scripture that says that we were basically created for such a moment as this. And what you have had to say, there's got to be people out there who can relate, who have been in that extreme darkness, uh, either intentionally or unintentionally tried to take their own life. I can understand that a little. Not that I've been there, but my mother was successful at taking her own life. So I can relate to some of what you're saying, I'm just thrilled you were a failure at it, which makes you a success. And what you have to give now, what's your hopes? What's your plans for the future? What's your dream? I don't care how big it is. I just want to help people, and that's why I'm here, like, telling my story. That's why I've told my story at our Brianna's Hope chapter. Um. Yeah, it helps me to, like, get it out there and everything. But if I can help somebody else, whether they can relate or they have questions or they're thinking about doing something in terms of pills, alcohol, weed, or hurting themselves, like, I I can be there and try to help them through that feeling or that craving or whatever, and um, I, um, I actually, to cope with my own self-harm, I tattoo myself because it's a way of turning my pain into something beautiful. What's your favorite tattoo that you have? Uh, Tell the folks what it is. Um, I didn't do this one, but um, there's a tree on my arm that is for my sister that was stillborn. And um, that is my favorite tattoo because when she was cremated and we got a tree and at her headstone, we planted the tree and put her ashes around it. So it was like she was still growing and still living with us in a way. And I have a tattoo of her tree um, with her name under it to remind me that she's with me all the time. Would you mind sharing her name? Tara. Tara. Yes, and it means earth. So 
I all thought that was fitting. <laughs> ashes to ashes, dust to dust, earth to earth, and yes. there it is, and there's the tree <laughs> to prove it, okay? Wow, thank you for sharing that. That's pretty personal. We appreciate that. No problem. Uh, all right. Uh, I don't really know what to say. To hear your story, the, the dark times, the struggles, the years of battle, the internal hurt, the hurt put on you by others, that physical hurt at 20 years old. But let me say this. I hope you can figure out what it's, what it's about. I've dealt with folks in here who just started to turn around in their 30s or 40s or even later. I am not diminishing what you've been through, but I'm applauding you for getting it stopped and moving forward as you are at this point, okay? Uh, tell the folks out there who are on the verge of making that decision between remaining with their struggle, continuing to drink or to use, versus going to some sort of recovery element. Continuing to drink or use or whatever, it is just prolonging the inevitable, honestly. It is trying to drown out something that only sends you back farther, and it comes back crashing in waves. It's like a hurricane hitting you all at once once you're sober again. And that's why you keep drinking. And that's why you keep using is to try to numb it out. But it always comes back at least 20 times harder. What, what has been the joy of your recovery up to this point? Getting to realize that I don't have to be drunk or high or, or tripping or whatever to have a good time or to be accepted by people or to feel like I'm wanted where I am. You're wanted where you are. Wow. Heavy stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. Courtney, is there anything else you'd like to add? I'm not sure. <laughs> no, that's okay. Uh, let me let me kind of close us with this question. And I know you said you're not a religious person. Well, that's not an issue here at, uh, you know, faith in your recovery. But what does that title mean to you, faith in your recovery? You have to believe in something, and you have to believe in yourself, and you have to believe in the people helping you through your recovery so you can actually recover. Because if you don't believe that you can do it, you're not going to do it. <laughs> well said. Uh, you're wise beyond your years, and with your experiences, you've done a tremendous job of sharing those with us. And, you know, you said you wanted to, pardon me, grow up to make a difference. You're an adult. I get that. But you're still a young adult. You made a difference here today in me, if nobody else. Thank you for your boldness, your willingness. We talked earlier, like a lot of people, you have microphobia, fear of the microphone, but you have handled yourself extremely well, and we're pleased with that. Thank you. 
Thank for you. your time and your effort. <laughs> Folks, just when you're at your worst, God shows up with his best. Your setbacks are his setup for your comeback. Courtney has shared with us today here on Faith in Your Recovery. We hope it's impacted you and will move you forward in your journey toward recovery. Tune back in. We'd be glad to have you choose your favorite platform, and uh, we're going to be there. If not, you can find us on Spotify, Apple, Google, just about anything and everywhere. God bless you. Stay in the battle.